This episode is brought to you by Blockdaemon. You'll be hearing all about them later from me later in the episode, but now on with the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. Mark, welcome to the show. You know, I was just thinking that Michael sounded a little tired, like, and and you skipped the the adjective. <laughs> I skipped so the adjective. The, I, yeah, I, I, I knew. Something tells me this is this has been a big week. Like this is like it's, this is like a beatdown week, which we will get to. Uh, so quick, quick things. So the orange pants are back, baby. Uh, we are going to single handedly. <laughs> all right, and I got I got Uncle Bam, Bitcoin as money. Okay, magic mm. internet money, Bitcoin wizard. Mm. Uh, it says, join us, right? Mm. We are recruiting for the army. It is time to fight back against the perpetrators of this vicious attack uh, on our ecosystem. Mm. And so it wasn't an attack on Bitcoin. Yes, it was. Uh, yes, it mm. was. It was an attack on all of it and mm. lots of stuff to talk about. But uh, the wizard needs is, your is help. Is there a mark? Did something happen this week? Is there you something know, that you feel like we should cover? Well, I mean, one or two things. One or two things. <laughs> Did anything stand out to you? Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Um, crazy week, I got to say. Uh, I mean, even for someone who I haven't, you know, I'm not one of the OGs been here since, uh, you know, 2010 or whatever. But I, I've got to say, I've, I've never seen anything in this crazy for me. Um, it's nuts. Yeah. This harkens back to, this harkens back to really serious economic crises of our past. I mean, I wasn't around, even though I kind of look like it sometimes. I wasn't around for the 29 <laughs> crash. Uh, and and I was was not, you know, really trading markets very heavily uh, at 10 years old in the 73 crash. But, you know, the 81, 82 recession, I, I noticed, right? I mean, I was I was yeah. I was still young but it hit my family hard. We lived in Seattle. There's a big billboard, you know, with the last person to leave Seattle, please turn out the lights. And mm. I mean, it was, it was bad. And that was the result of Fed errors, you know, Volcker double dipping on, on how he measured inflation and, you know, crushing the back of inflation. Well, he crushed the back of the economy and people's lives. And, and this week, it's sobering for me because I've seen this before. I saw it in 87. Um, people got wiped out. And and sadly, and I don't even like to talk about it. I mean, people took their lives, right? I mean, families broke up. Marriages broke up. Companies shut down. And that just happened this week. Uh, and I believe, and I, and I strongly believe this, and I won't point, point fingers at any individual because they've denied it, but... This was a deliberate attack. This was uh, well thought out. Um, and the fact that, you know, all these regulations are, are being you know, proposed the day after, you know, oh, we need to regulate stable coins. Well, the problem is Luna was, and Terra and Anchor, which is not a stable coin. It was an unstable coin. There's nothing stable about it. So... It, it's it's scary to me. Now, the, the thing this morning, oh, well, if, if you deposit the money with the Fed, we'll leave you alone. Are you kidding mm. me? That's the exact reason 
we're creating this ecosystem is to move away from the fiat fiasco that, that y'all have created. So anyway, so many things to talk, yeah. talk about. It's, uh, you know, I, I was speaking to someone who oversees um, crypto investments for a sovereign wealth fund. And I asked him, I was like, what's your, what's your take on this, looking at this whole situation? And, and his response was, um, you know, I, I cut my teeth during the, the Asian currency crisis. Uh, and this reminds me exactly of that. Uh, so that was, I thought that was an interesting yeah. bit of perspective, but, um, for, for, I'm sure, I'm sure viewers, um, or listeners will be aware of what happened this week, but just to give you a synopsis of what happened, there was a pretty unprecedented collapse in the Lunaterra ecosystem right here. And, uh, UST, I don't know what the peg is currently trading at, but last time I looked last night, it was like 10 cents, nine cents. Uh, it's, it's nine cents. Luna is 0.00002 cents. Yeah. Um, so, so. For those who are listening who might not might not be aware, there are a couple different models. So let's just let's just go into the models of like how how do different stablecoins work? How are they collateralized? Right. Um, there's one which is the safest model, uh, right? Which is you basically you put dollars in a box, uh, you get out a an IOU, right? A, a crypto dollar IOU, right? That's the Tether and the USDC model, right? Fully collateralized by US dollars. Um, then there is the crypto collateralized version. This is like a MakerDAO type stablecoin where you don't put a dollar into the box, but you actually put crypto collateral, so Bitcoin, Ether into a smart contract. You over collateralize it and then you can mint staples, right? And that's that's good. That's a good system as well. There are some drawbacks to it, but uh, there, there are definitely pros to it as well. Then there is what is known as the seniorage model, and that's what Luna was using. Now, it's a little bit more complicated than this, but the way that I think about it is you essentially have a stablecoin which is backed by nothing except for the equity of the stablecoin network. And that is what Luna was. By the way, if you saw it going up and down, that is essentially the network equity of, of UST, the token. And the way, the way that that was enforced was, you know, you had to peg UST, the stablecoin, to the value of a dollar. And there was an arbitrage mechanism, right? Whereas if the if the value of UST fell below a dollar, what you could do is on the protocol level, you could swap, or it's called like burning, right? You could swap uh, the like a 99 cent UST in for a dollar of Luna, sell it to the market, and that kind of balanced out the peg. Um, this all started to wobble and come apart this past weekend, right? So it was kind of wobbling um, on Sunday night. Uh, you know, it was like around 98 cents, something like that. And... Uh, you know, there's like a bunch of conspiracy theories on Twitter, right? Like a lot of you have probably heard that Citadel and BlackRock were behind this. Mark, I don't know what you think. I, it seems very unlikely that they were. I said I wasn't going to name names, but look, this was a concerted attack. Mm. And it, it, it requires somebody of means. I believe it was absolutely tied to the establishment. And again, I'm not going to name any names, um, but I, when people deny things vehemently, that actually makes me nervous. So, you know, it's the lady doth protest too much, methinks. So, uh, and, and it was not, a, it was not a coincidence that Ms. Yellen, the next day, like literally the next morning uh, after the big collapse was out saying, oh, well, we need to, we need to regulate these things. We need to supervise these things. And then this morning they're like, well, if you deposit your money in the Fed, we'll, we'll, you know, leave you alone. So um, whether it was one of those two firms uh, or another, uh, or a conglomeration, or, or one of the dark pools, right? There's, there's plenty of dark pool money out there. Um, the Luna uh, group, you know, very publicly said, oh, we're buying all this, this Bitcoin, and we're going to use it to collateralize. 
well, wait a second, you're using an 80 vol asset to collateralize a stable coin? Seriously? Really? Mm. I mean, because that's the number go up thing. Well, if the number only goes up, then it'll work. Well, guess what? If it goes down and goes down sharply, you're going to be then forced to sell the Bitcoin, which is going to push it down further. So, you know, whoever did yeah. this not only achieved their goal, which was to put this thing, you know, out of business, but they also probably made about a billion bucks in doing it. Yeah, they made a, they made a tremendous amount of money. Um, I mean, just to give uh, listeners some some context on the scale of what happened. Uh, I mean, we're talking about, let's say, a depending on how real you thought this economic value was, quote unquote, we're talking about almost an Enron style collapse yeah. uh, of economic value, right, in scale between the value of UST and the equity value of, of Luna. And in terms of the profit that the attacker made, yeah, this is something on the scale of like George Soros' attack on the Bank of England, right? Black Wednesday. I mean, this is pretty, yeah, this is pretty right, and to historic the point, Michael, stuff. Again, I love, I love that you're a student history, right? This was exactly, exactly what Soros did to attack a floating currency, right? Right. And that's mm -hmm. the problem. A stable coin can't be floating relative to other things that are floating because then mm -hmm. like the Malaysian ringgit or any other coin, uh, you can, you can be attacked. And, and look, I, we, we don't want to spend all of our time on this, but I, I do think it's, it's a big deal. And it's, it's why I said, it's why I'm wearing the socks. It's why, you know, one Bitcoin is different than these other things. It, it is money, right? It is an asset that exists in the absence of a liability, uh, unlike these other structures uh, that are basically derivative structures. So, so that's one thing. You got to have some somewhere, and you know, not, another thing we'll probably talk about because again, little little thing that happened. Um, there's been a little bit of a run on the bank at places like Coinbase and, and other exchanges because people are freaking out. They're like, "Oh, I, you know, not my keys, not my coins." Well, look, banks work really well until there's a run on them. And mm -hmm. this past week reminds me, and I've actually been tweeting this out, and I wrote, I wrote a long letter about this. I mean, I 40, 40 plus pages about this a couple of years ago. This reminds me of the Knickerbocker panic of 1907. Mm. And basically, J.P. Morgan uh, you know, owned banking. Right. J.P. Morgan was was the big bank. He was the big banker. He was very well connected politically, uh, rich guy, and you know best buddies with John D. Rockefeller, another rich guy, Robert Barron. Not a very nice term, actually. Think about that. You know, we we deify these people like Robert Barron. I know. It's not a very nice I term. I mean, no, it's not at all. And and you know, John D. Rockefeller. Yes, his foundation does a lot of nice, but he wasn't really a very nice person. And arguably, according to history, he, he like disappeared hundreds of people. Like people mm. would strike against his factories and they would vanish. And, you know, it turns out you don't get investigated if you're really rich. So anyway, so uh, J.P. Morgan famously quoted that uh, I like a, a little competition. Mm. Okay. Keyword little. And so mm. there was a law passed that said the banks were getting too powerful and, and they were controlled by the elites and the wealthiest families 
from Europe, Rothschilds, etc. And so they said, oh, we're going to pass a law. We're going to have, we're going to have some competition. Well, these trusts. So they authorized these trusts and these trusts, the Knickerbocker Trust. You know, it's kind of it's literally, literally like the, the story that was done uh, later. Uh, it's a Wonderful Life, you know, the movie about, you know, Mr. Potter and the bank and the building and loan, right? This, this mm. nice trust company. Um, and long story short, Knickerbocker Trust was starting to take share away from Mr. Morgan. So he spread some rumors, shall we say, that maybe your money wasn't safe. And there's the famous mm. picture, you can look on Wikipedia, of the bank run. Right, people with the umbrellas and the top—you know, everyone's in their coats and hats and and suit and dresses and heels and you know, everybody's dressed up because that's how you you know walked around back in the the twenties or in the nineteen hundreds. And um, long story short, the run on the bank was successful. And shockingly, I know this will shock you, Michael. J.P. Morgan got to buy the assets for pennies on the dollar. And here we are this morning. J.P. Morgan talking about similar stuff for stablecoin industry. Shocking. Yeah, it's you know there there are a couple of uh, and and just just to fi- just to finish up the story of uh, mechanically how this worked. And there's a great thread put together by a guy named On Chain Wizard who explains this. But magic internet you know, money wizard. There we go. Yeah, how perfect is that? Yeah. Right. Um, it, you know, the, this was, it was a sophisticated attack that happened, right? Because the, the, last, the last part of the story is there was, a, there was a transition going on between the three pool and the four pool. Right? Those are pools on Curve, and Curve is the, the exchange for stable coins, um, stable swap exchange. And, you know, three pool was kind of the dominant uh, liquidity pool for, you know, three major stables, right? And that was uh, UST, uh, or sorry, USDT, uh, so it's Tether, uh, DAI, and uh, USDC, right? And then there was going to be a switch, right, to the four pool, right, which was kind of pioneered by Do Kwan. And then that was going to be UST, FRAX, um, USDC, and USDC. So there was this big transition, and the, the attack was actually launched at the same time that there was like 150 million of liquidity that w- was withdrawn from the three pool was going to go into the four pool. And when liquidity was low, that's when all this selling begin. And it was a sophisticated attack as well, because, you know, they, they had to accumulate a large position of Bitcoin, uh, right? And they're selling into UST. They had to accumulate a lot of Bitcoin, a lot of UST, sell short at a time when they knew there was low liquidity. It was a sophisticated attack. A lot of money was made. Incredible. I, I, I think um, for me, I, I think I think I have a couple I have a couple ways of looking at this. And I'll, I'll pose this as an open question to you. Uh, there's this Bethany McLean line that the Who's one of the great writers between, of our age? Full stop. Of our age. Full stop. She's amazing. She's amazing. Every time She's I every awesome. time I say this and I'm like, do you know Bethany McLean? I'm like a Bethany McLean shell. I'm like, do you know her? You yeah. should look her up. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, it said the line between a, a visionary and a fraud is very thin. And, you know, to when it comes to like these seniorage models for stablecoins and Luna, there were some people, there have always been some people who are like, this is not possible as a model. Um, this is simply this is simply impossible. We we want a decentralized algorithmic stablecoin, but this is simply not going to work. No. And this is an experiment that is reckless. And when it fails, inevitably, the regulators are going to take it and use it as a stick to beat the industry with. Then there's kind of the other side of this, which is like, guys, look, we we need to be able to experiment. And 
the, one of the big problems with the financial system as it exists today is that it's overregulated, it is stunted innovation, it's encouraged regulatory capture, and there's just not much there's not much ability to grow. That's what's why it's this disgusting, you know, broken old system. So this is kind of the flip side of that. So if you want the speed of innovation uh, that you get in the tech industry, this is kind of what you're going to get. So where where do you fall on on that line, Mark? Like how how like between allowing innovation and like maybe this in in hindsight this is looking pretty irresponsible. No, no. So again, such such brilliant analysis. And yeah, I talk about this all the time, and I'm I'm, I'm more acute. Uh, acutely aware of it this week because you know, on Wednesday I, I did my annual thing with the, I have this scholarship program and meet, meet with the scholars, the, the seniors who are graduating. Just a little plug for our program. We got another valedictorian. We've had four out of the last eight valedictorians at Notre Dame. Let's go. Which is pretty amazing. Uh, these kids are amazing. And um, you know, one of the things we talk about, there's this essay. You, you should read this essay if you haven't read it called Solitude mm-hmm. and Leadership. Uh, by this guy, William Derizowitz. And everyone should read it, actually. Um, And he basically talks about our society is broken in in one way, in that we've we've taught people to value answers rather than questions, Hmm. right? It's it's not enough to say, oh, that person's hungry, and I'm going to go work at the food kitchen and help that help feed them. You need to ask, why does hunger exist? How can we live in a country where we spend $20 billion a year on weight loss and people go to bed hungry every night? It's clearly a surfeit of calories. That, that's not the problem. So why, why? And so asking questions is way more important than regurgitating answers. And one of the things you hmm. do, probably as well as anyone I know, is you formulate thoughtful, meaningful questions that we can talk about. And, and that's, hmm. that's one of the most, it's one of the greatest superpowers to have. Because um, if you ask people their opinion, most people will just parrot something else they heard. Hmm. They haven't actually thought. So you've actually sat back and thought about this issue, not for hours and hours and hours, but, but you at least did some thinking rather than just pull a, a, a thing off Reddit or whatever and say, oh, that's what I heard about this. So if you think about this, look, you know, the whole tech thing, well, it's it's not broken. Let's break it and let's see if we can do something different. Okay, that's fine if you're talking about social media, which maybe we need or don't need or maybe it's a good thing, maybe it's not. That's fine if you're talking about you know f- you know changing a uh, a non-critical infrastructure technology you know where we have time, but you probably don't want to mess with the sewer system, mm. right? I mean it's worked pretty well for thousands of years, and yeah we can make improvements here and there, but we can't just break the whole thing and then test out something new. So mm-hmm. I-, I do believe all the things you said about regulatory capture and and power and control are all what government and too much government, right? Big government, it's like the oxymoron. I mean, it's jumbo shrimp, military intelligence. Actually, the military, there's plenty of smart people in the military. I don't don't even like to use that one. But um, I, I do believe that there is this 
problem right now that financial services has been devoid of real innovation. That's not, that's not actually not really fair. There've been lots of innovations, derivatives and, and other things. Um, and they do cause breakage, right? You know, the derivative problem with, with uh, Orange County and, you know, thinking they had AAA and then there's the CDO stuff. And actually someone made a good point. Uh, this is a long ramble, but I'll get to your, to your point. There's a great line about all this UST was, was the CDO model from the global financial crisis retread, but now faster and easier to, to break because it was out in the yeah. public um, and not centrally controlled. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably true. So um, real innovation is really important. And, and we've been talking about this for a long time on this show and, and independently on our Twitter feeds. And, you know, what the internet did to media and commerce, right? Caused a lot of disruption, a lot of breakage, a lot of market cap disappeared and went to other places. It's good, right? We're better for it. Yeah. That's what blockchain does to financial services. Now, part of the challenge in financial services is it is part and parcel at the root of everything we do. So, you know, I, I think I've made this comment on the show a couple of times, right? Problem with fintech there was no tech. I mean, we're using 80, 90-year-old technology, Fedwire, banks, ACH, Visa. They work perfectly well, kind of, most of the time. But fintech is just putting a better UI UX on these old rails. Now we're talking about building new rails and doing new things. And I think that's all really, really good. But the incumbents don't like it. They don't like it at all. And and we've talked about this too, right? Is 2009, and it was not a coincidence, not a coincidence, that Bitcoin was born in 2009, right at the heart of the global financial crisis. Mm-hmm. That was not an accident, right? Just like it's not an accident, Satoshi's birthday is 4575, right? When gold was made illegal, 45, and then 75 when it was reinstated. Those aren't accidents. So, but no one cared. 2009 to 2015, yeah, yeah, we ignore you. You're geeks, you're nerds, you're small. We don't care about you. You don't threaten us. 2016 to 21, they laugh at you. Well, bunch of geeks and nerds and this stupid magic internet money, my socks. I mean, we don't care. (laughs) Last year, now we fight you. Mm -hmm. And this fight is just getting started. It's Mm -hmm. just getting started. And this attack, I believe, came directly from those incumbents as an attack to damage the credibility, to try to put some of the combatants in the hospital uh, or or disappear them. And and I think this is going to get real. And it's not going to go away in a week or a month. This, this is going to be years of this nonsense. What do you think about the idea, you know, like, let's say it was some concerted attack. Um, I mean, 
as crypto grows up, I've always kind of conceptualized crypto in general as a as a startup. It's like it's still very young and scrappy and and even like the Bitcoin kind of ethos, right? Like it's got to kind of throw some elbows, get to, get its name out there, do that kind of grassroots marketing. Uh, but but crypto has ascended to the world stage and in many ways it has to mature. And I think I think it has to do that in a couple of different ways. I think it has to do it in the form of its rhetoric. I've always kind of believed that. And I, and I also think it needs to like if you want to play with the big boys then the big boys don't always play super nice no, and they uh, do not. Like, you kind of have to expect these sorts of attacks and you need to you need to get ready that if you create a whole bunch of value people are going to try to take that value away from you and uh, you know i i don't know what, what do you think more, about that uh, kind uh, of michael again just perfect analysis but even more not only if you create the value will they try to take it they're going to try to stop you from taking their stuff mm-hmm. right you know, look, yeah. I, I always marvel. I mean, I, I really do marvel because I don't understand how it happened. ABC, NBC, CBS. They owned everything. They owned our eyeballs. They owned our time. I know. We lived on their schedule. They had all the ad money. I know. They could have easily transitioned to the digital age, become streaming companies. How did they not? How did Netflix win? It's unbelievable. It's it's that resistance to innovation. It's I don't want to break what I already have. But boy, when they started, you know, doing when Netflix started, people tried to put them out of business. Netflix almost went bankrupt twice. Right? And they try to pass laws. I mean, when the internet started, the phone companies were like, voice over internet for free? Are you joking? I like charging $3 to call your mom in, in <laughs> London. I'm not a minute, not, not an hour, a minute, $3 a minute. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, my mom and dad used to freak. I had a long distance girlfriend and we'd talk three, four hours, literally <laughs> saying nothing. What are you doing? Nothing. What are you doing? Nothing. What are you doing? What'd you, what'd you have for breakfast? Yeah, what'd you have for breakfast? What'd you have for lunch? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like three or four hours. And then my parents would get a $200 phone bill and they'd be like, your allowance is like $10. What are you thinking? What what do you mean? What what do you mean? You have to pay for that? Mm. They have to pay for that. Mm -hmm. It's free. It's a phone. Mm. But so what did they do? They they literally tried to pass laws to stop voice over internet protocol. Mm -hmm. We're using it right now. Voice over internet protocol is a pretty good thing. Right? So- Look, this this fight is is real and innovators are going to innovate. But I love your quote and again just the you know bringing history into into the present the the line between or Bethany's line, right? The line between visionary and fraudster is razor thin. It's like genius and madness, right? It's it's just on the edge. And the people that we think are geniuses, maybe there's a little madness. And you know, we talk about people on the spectrum and how can they be so smart? Because well, they're not burdened by all the other stuff that we all care about and think about. You know, Michael Burry, he doesn't really give a crap what you and I or anybody else thinks about him. He's going to tell it like it is. And he's going to, you know, do one of the greatest trades in the history of, of finance. Speaking of Michael Burry, I actually, I was I hadn't planned this, but I was just thinking about this. Um, I think, so now I think we can pretty safely say 
crypto is in a bear market. Right? <laughs> uh, we were like, yeah, are we in it? Are we yeah. not in it? Yeah. We're in a bear market you know now. Crap, uh, I mean, and so is, you know how much crap I have taken for saying know, the word crypto winter on this show like six, I, seven months ago? Yeah, oh you were dead God. right. Oh my God. Dead right. Yeah. And no, you know what? I'm not, what? Trying, I'm not, I'm not like, trying to take a victory lap. I, I don't, I don't yeah. like the crypto winter. I don't like bear markets, but the idea that the cycle was eradicated and that greed and fear would be eradicated, it's just, just crazy. This episode is brought to you by Blockdaemon, the world's leading blockchain infrastructure platform. Blockdaemon's mission is simple. Make spinning up a node so easy a five-year-old could do it and so secure that any chief compliance officer in the world could sleep easy at night. In plain English, Blockdaemon allows anyone, whether you're a crypto native fund, a financial institution, a DeFi protocol, whatever, to participate in crypto more safely. For some, that can mean participating in governance. It could mean gathering real-time and accurate data. It could mean generating yield through staking. Whatever it is, when it comes to crypto, infrastructure is edge, and there's simply no better edge offered than the one from Blockdaemon. Blockdaemon supports a range of services on over 50 protocols, and that's a growing list. They have multiple layers of risk mitigation that include regional and data center diversity, 24-7 human and automated monitoring, a full-service team of engineers to avoid technical difficulties, and things like slashing insurance. In other words, they literally make it foolproof. If your organization relies on real-time, accurate data that comes from blockchains, please, please, please click the link at the bottom of this episode and go check them out. Again, it's important. Gotta click the link at the bottom, otherwise I won't get my credit. I'm with you on it. Yeah, you're totally right about it. So here's what I think let's do. for If you just joined crypto, because I, I, there are a bunch of people that came into this industry, right? We know this is how it works. The cycle goes up, media attention goes up, money goes up, brings a whole bunch of people into the industry, and then successively like 25, 30% of them will quit. So I, th- I thought here's what we could do is like talk about what it's like, what to expect going into yes. a bear market, yeah, like yeah. what you can be prepared for, and how you cannot leave. Because I firmly believe just find a way to not quit during the bear market and that that is success. So I was, I was no, creating Michael, a list you know, of things. It's so funny you say it because I, I mean, you never know who you're buying from, but, mm-hmm. you know, people were giving me a little shit um, that, you know, you screw, you're the, you're the buy it guy. You know, you're on TV and you say, when price goes down, buy it. I'm like, well, the way my fund works is we buy on a schedule and we really do more private stuff and, but you know, I was like, yep, I, I deserve that. So I, was, I went to a couple uh, spaces uh, yesterday, like mm-hmm. totally different. One was, was much more crypto broadly, you know, some would say, oh, you know, shitcoin uh, stuff. The other was pure toxic Bitcoiners. And I was kind of hanging with a bunch of different people, listening to the perspectives and and it inspired me, right? And because these were people, there's one guy who's great. He's a, he's a long haul trucker. I mean, mm-hmm. like just a, a, a real person, right? And and he's yeah. out there talking about how this has changed his life and how he's spending all his time figuring out how he can stack sats. And he's talking about how he figured out how he can put 50 cents in uh, with no cost. I'm like, damn it. Okay. So last night, logged on to my Coinbase account. Partly to make sure it still worked. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because um, it's been a little tack on Coinbase. And uh, we got to talk about Coinbase. No, no, we second, will. We will. And, 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 and it worked flawlessly. And mm-hmm. man, I bought some stuff. And, and I, th- I always think about who's selling to me. To your point, mm-hmm. 
If it's someone who's leaving because they're disillusioned, I'm like, oh, God, please don't sell to me. What I want I is I want the whales to sell to me because I want them to have less. And I don't mean I want them to have less. I don't want to take their stuff away. I want more people to own. And that was one of the things I was talking about. What I would love to do is find a way to create the equivalent of on-chain monkeys. I don't know if you know on-chain monkeys, but it's it's this really cool community. Uh, you buy an NFT to be part of the community. And then the uh, currency in the community is bananas, right? Monkeys and bananas. And when someone does something to help humanity and you observe another member, you say rise. And I can't remember. I should I should know what rise stands for, but it's something. And that triggers that person getting bananas. And I'm like, why can't we do that with Bitcoin? Why couldn't we have a system where when we see someone do something good for the world, we can give them sats, like instantly. And I was like, yes, that would be awesome. And then you can if they have light, you know, if they have strike or, but I was like, you know, that'd be cool. So anyway, I forgot what, yeah. I forgot what you asked me. Bear market signs. Oh, bear market. Here, here's my, yeah, how do you stay here, in it? Yeah. And what to expect? Yeah. And here's my, here's my list of things that will happen. So first of all, you will see crypto OGs uh, capitulate. And that that's already, and actually Jason and I have a great episode it's either coming out today or it's coming out maybe next week uh, with uh, Richard Crabe. I don't know if maybe folks will be familiar with him. Gotten in on the Ethereum ICO uh, crowd sale. Uh, you know, he, he, he has this hedge fund called Numerai. It's got a crypto component. There's a, its own NMR. And he, he released this video on Twitter saying, hey, I'm, I'm selling all my my crypto. Uh, so there's a little chat, but there will be more of that, right? And you'll question, say these OGs are selling, should I be selling too? Should I be getting out? Every mainstream media outlet that was positive on crypto looked like they were going to be, is going to reverse. Yep. And you're going to start to get these thought pieces. Like you're, you're already starting to see this. Here, here's, here's a title that was shared by a pretty prominent person. The ticking time bomb of crypto fascism. Right. <laughs> so you're going to, you're going to, you're going to start to see a lot more, a lot more fascism. thought pieces like that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, you're you're going to see the return of enterprise blockchain is going to make a comeback. I'm just going to call it now. Like people are going to start oh, oh talking goodness, about Michael, I almost, almost wore my. Uh, I was trying to, I was going back and forth. I almost wore my Bitcoin, not blockchain socks this morning. Yeah, it, it would have been perfect because I, I can promise you there's going to be, uh, see, this is why we like the technology yes. and not the, the cryptos yeah. and, uh, supply chain makes a lot of sense and medical records and all, all that stuff. That's, that stuff's oh, yeah, making a comeback for You're sure. Right. Uh, record amount of regulatory fund. Ooh. You're going to see, see this going to be illegal. Blah blah blah. It's going to be, and that might actually have some teeth. I well, think, and it's going to be more than fud, right? There, there's there's yeah, going to be a massive amount of of regulation, like real mm -hmm. regulations will be passed to to try to slow this down. Um, yeah, because it's real, right? And and it was like, oh, but you know, we just lost you know one point seven trillion dollars of value. Like, yep, yep. And but that doesn't mean it's over. Uh, and it will get recaptured. And you know, it's funny, someone's tried to say that uh, you know, that's that was the equivalent of the subprime debacle, and that's gonna be the catalyst that brings down the economic system, just like you know, the gold financial crisis. I'm like, dude, <laughs> Fang has lost twice that. Yeah. Twice. 
actually Fang Man, seven stocks, which are way more widely held and have way more influence than crypto. I mean, as, as influential as crypto is and as important as it is and as important as it will be, it's, it's kind of like Twitter, right? I mean, Twitter used by 4% of people on the planet. I mean, it's important to us and it's where we yeah. make friends and it's where we exchange ideas. And, and now with this whole thing about it's where free speech is going to go to live instead of die. 96% of people in the world don't use it. So probably not where free speech, you know, probably newspapers and media is probably more important. Not that it's not important to have free speech on Twitter. It is. And, and we need that. But um, I don't know. I 100% I, 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 I agree with you. We are in for the fight of our lives. And, and it happens to coincide. It's like when cycles line up. You know, there's a there's a 18-month cycle and a, and a six-year cycle and a 30-year cycle and a 90-year cycle. The 90-year cycle is the one we should be worried about, right? 1837, there was a depression. 1930, there was a depression. Yeah, that's why I don't mm. like that D word. But so we are 90 years after the last depression and 92-ish. But um, but anyway, how do you survive it? How do you stay with it? Well, a couple ways. One, I you know I I was on a, a thing yesterday with this guy Matthew Roz Rozick Rozchik I can't Rozak Rozak Rozak, Rozak. and you know we're chatting and I'm doing my usual thing I talk too much I take too much airtime <laughs> and. And uh, I, I know you don't agree with me on that, but I do. Yeah, no, no, no. I, it's crazy, crazy talk. Mm. So and I, I and so and Matthew's there, and he said a couple things, and so I'm going, I'm scrolling last night, and I come across this TED talk that he did, like from four years ago. So long ago. Four years. He's ago. an OG. He's, he's an OG. He's been oh, yeah, in no, 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 for no, no. a while. He, he, yeah. he was do, when uh, he was doing it when the market cap of Bitcoin was seventy billion, seven zero. Mm-hmm. And I tweeted out, like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm an idiot. I, I was on with this guy's brilliant mind. Why didn't I just shut up? It's like I should do with you. I should just shut up and listen. Um, <laughs> when you have a brilliant mind on the screen with you, just listen. And I was like, I'm an idiot. So that was really funny. He's an OG. He he red-pilled personally a lot of the people in Silicon Valley, given their first Bitcoin. And I think I think my, Man, I don't want to say. I think he might have done it for Mark Andreessen. Matt, I might be giving you too much, but he some people of that scale. He, yeah. he he's been a great advocate yeah. for the space. Um, yeah, I think for me the, the things that I would think about is um, you know that thing that you are the you are the five people that you spend the most time with. Hundred percent, like hundred percent. Uh, I I think the biggest thing that choose will make you stick around in this industry is who you who you spend your time with. Yeah. Because there were a lot of people over the course of the last 18 months that convinced themselves that they believed in this and wanted to build something and they were in and they weren't. They were in it for the money. And you can you can already see who those people are, right? There were these people who were on Twitter now and they're kind of doing they were like looking like they were positive to it. And now they're doing their victory laps on why it doesn't work. And and to be fair, the industry got way ahead of itself. We are gonna have to answer a lot of hard questions and rethink stuff that we thought was working. But that's that's okay. That's that's healthy. No, but what, um, what I was, was going to say is, I, so I, I watched this this snippet of this TED talk, and what he talked about was mm-hmm. how he came to it. Is he said mm-hmm. I literally locked myself in my house, 
turned off everything and spent 24 hours researching blockchain. And that's mm-hmm. when I saw the light. He says, everyone needs to do a blockchain day. I was like, you know what? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I tweeted that out. I said, look, the world would be a better place faster if everybody did this. Pick a day, weekday, take a day off, a mental health day, whatever, weekend day, and literally spend 24 hours looking, diving deeply into blockchain technology, Bitcoin, crypto, all of these things that are going to be the new financial system and see the light, right? Orange pill yourself. And I think that is really, really important. So education, so, you know, go to lop.net, right? He's already put all the stuff together. Mm. So you don't even have to go search for it. I mean, it's all right there. And also, to your point on the five people you spend the most time with, it's not just physical time. It's who you listen to and who you surround yourself with. So you need to curate your Twitter stream. You need to find the Matthew Raj. How do you stop to say his last name? Um, Rozak. 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 You have to find the Matthews. And, you know, Michael Saylor, some people like him, some people don't. The guy's a genius. I mean, just, just is. Mm. Uh so listening to him and, you know, you can, I think with, with Michael, you got to listen and be critical thinker about what he's saying. You can't just take it all as, as gospel, but he is, he is a genius. So I do love listening yeah. to him, but spend time with Me people. Too. Watch this show. Clearly this, this show will, will help. You should. Yeah. I, that's, that's, I, I really, I really do believe that. And uh, I hope. You know, I, the reason I'm saying this is not to be like a doom and gloom sayer. It's just like, I personally, like, I wish someone had told me that when I, cause we started Blockworks in the peak of 2017 and kind of watched it. And we obviously stuck around, but I mean, watching that much break kind of made me, I think more cynical on, on the way down. And I didn't have as much faith that parts of this ecosystem could work on the way oh, back up. And Michael, I just think I was behind. You're human. Yeah. Are you joking? Yeah. Yeah. You're not, yeah. a, you're not a Borg. Yeah. You have emotions. <laughs> I mean, yeah. this I was, this is this is hard right now. Mm-hmm. It's super hard yeah. because, to your point, the media is trying to convince you that this is a bad thing. It's bad for you. It's mm-hmm. bad for society. It's bad. Who it's bad for? Bad for society. That cracked. That was, that's the one that cracked no, me. No, up, honestly, well, it's, I, it's, it's like, bad for society with a capital S, right? Mm-hmm the people at the top of the, the little pyramid, the all-seeing eye people, it ain't bad. Well, actually, those little s, little s society. It, it ain't bad for society as a whole. It, it's, it's good for mm-hmm. society as a whole. But, but definitely for high society, this is, this is, this is bad because it's taken away their power. And, um, and I think when media is going to fill the world with FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, when, when you're going to see real pain and, and suffering, right? There, there are people, like I said, there are people that, you know, are having bad thoughts, deep, dark thoughts. And, and again, if anyone's happened to be watching this and you're having those thoughts, please reach out to somebody. And, and everyone on the call or, or, or watching us, we all know someone who's hurting right now. And don't wait for them to call you. Call them. I would say when, yeah, when people tweet out the hotline number, 
like the suicide hotline stuff, that makes me angry a little bit. I'm like, no, be the hotline. Call the people. Mm -hmm. Like, reach out to people you know who are at risk. Um, but this is real. You're going to see that, and people are going to talk about it, and people are going to, hate to say, almost glamorize it because that stokes fear, and fear is very powerful. And once fear takes over, and I think that's that's what we saw this, this week, um, people just, it's hard to stand up to it. Yeah. You know, you know what a funny example of fear is, uh, that, so our newsletter writer, very, uh, knowledgeable guy, Byron, uh, he, he, he was telling me, you know, you know, one of the things that went wrong in the financial crisis, right, was the breaking of the buck, that big, uh, money market fund. Yep. And the reason why it was Lehman triggered it, yep. right? Uh, because the, the, the money market fund had some amount of Lehman paper. People didn't know how much Lehman paper was in the money market fund, but they got nervous, right? right? And everyone tries to withdraw their money at the same time. Yeah. And, and Byron's point to me at that point was, well, one of the improvements of crypto is that you have transparency, yes. right? So you can see all this stuff, so it shouldn't work. But so UST breaks its peg and suddenly all these completely unrelated pegs come under fire. So Tether, yeah. the, the Tether peg, almost broke yesterday as well. And it's still wobbling. It's wobbling a lot. Then a, another completely unrelated peg, right? Luna, or, or, sorry, sorry, uh, ETH to Steve, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, Which yeah, is yeah, uh, the, yeah. the staked, yeah. staked ETH liquid yeah. de staking derivative yeah. uh, that's offered by Lido. Still off its peg. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's a great reminder of just exactly how irrational humans are and when fear grips it, like people aren't rational actors. Well, but right? I'm gonna it's argue just, that that was the other side that's some greedy bastards thinking they can do the same thing. Got and, it. And, and so what you saw, and this just, you know, you know how I feel about chart crimes, right? I hate chart crimes. I do. And, I know you do. And so people were doing this, right? They're showing this big drop in the tether peg. I'm like, no, you can't have the axis be 0.02, right? You can't, mm. you can't compare Luna dropping 99%. And, you know, tether peg dropping 0.02, that's not, because if you go back in history, the tether peg has wobbled between 0.98 and 1.02 many times, you know, not every day. Mm -hmm. But so the chart crimes, which then are trying to elicit something bad. So people say, well, I'll just get short this. And when it breaks, I'll make a lot of money. Not yeah. understanding the difference between a true stable coin that's actually backed by things. Now, the Tether one is interesting because there have been a lot of accusations that, well, there's there's no there there. There's no there's no actual money in the bank. Well, let's think about this. How long has that FUD been going on? Like five years, six years? I don't know. A long time. At some point, it's either true or it's not. I agree. You know what? You know what I have to do? We've talked about it on the show. I don't think that the the people who've been calling for inflation for 20 years and finally got it right should not be allowed to do a victory lap. Oh I'm sorry. I just oh, think no, no, like, no, no, eventually no, no. you'll be no. right. And, and you know what? You know what has frustrated me like a little bit too? It's these tether truthers coming out and being like, see, see, I knew it. And it's like, guys, you were you were totally wrong on it. Completely, Completely. wrong. You picked the wrong one, the wrong model. And I'm sorry, I just don't think you should be allowed nope, to do a victory no, no, lap on this. Anyone who's taken Tether victory laps here, and look, I, I, I you know, Tether truthers are like, I hope kill me. that you know I don't live to regret this, and you know, two weeks from now we find out there is no there there. 
But knock on wood. But I, no, but I but I don't believe that because because um, it's a different model. And you know, actually, you know, I, I had family members call me up and say, "Hey, should I should I you know you know dump all my USDC?" I'm like, "No, stop. No, it's not the same thing." Uh, or GUSD, not the same thing. So anyway. It is what it is. Um, I, I want we got one more story that I want to I want to get your get your opinion on here because I want to go to public markets here for a second. Yeah. I want to talk actually about two stuff. I want to talk about Twitter and I want to talk about Coinbase. Yep. Uh, this is not you know if you've been paying attention to Twitter, but I also so I will say, not financial advice, whatever, whatever. I, I don't care about saying this. I top ticked the shit out of Coinbase. I've actually I bought it at like four twelve is my cost mm-hmm. basis. Literally, listen to Kramer. Let's go to four seventy five. Four seventy five. He's he's a great analyst. He's a great analyst. Um, and uh, I bag held all the way down, but it's a great company. I, I really do love Coinbase and they're trading right now at like, it's, it's nuts. It's like, they're just getting schlacked. I, I think their, their public market value is like below what they raised at in their last private round. I mean, they're trading at like a 3.5 times price to earnings. Like practically the, the amount of cash on their, on their balance sheet, right? It's like a third of the stock's value plus their venture portfolio. They're basically trading at book value. I mean, it is, it's been very surprising to me to see Coinbase get beat up this badly. Um, and, and the bonds too. Do you yeah. see the 10 year bonds are like just in a, in a nosedive right now yeah. as well? I mean, look, it's look, people nuts to me. People, I shouldn't say this, most investors, and I'm using that term in air quotes, mm-hmm. particularly in the current market aren't investors, right? The average person Mm -hmm. that bought coin didn't buy it because they could look at the balance sheet and understand how much cash they have. They didn't understand their revenue model. They they just saw number go up and Kathy bought it and a bunch of venture capitalists made a bunch of money. And again, full disclosure, you know, we were early investors. We we still own some of it. We sold some, but we we still own some. And uh, thinking about buying more, actually, um, mm-hmm. which is not our mandate, right? Because it's, it's a public company and a private company. So I'm trying to figure out how I could do that. But uh, long story short, is what's happening here is a combination of a couple things. One, Kathy's under attack, right? The arc mm-hmm. <laughs> sprung a leak, and. Uh, and the crazy part is money is still flowing in. Like people are still buying ARC, like all the way down. And, mm-hmm. you know, net net inflows and it's just destroying capital. And so she's then, you know, she's trying to buy shares, but then she's being forced to sell shares. And so I I think that's that's part of it. Uh the other part of it is there's a whole bunch of people, you know, who are early private investors who who did come finally off lock and maybe they were holding it and once it broke a certain level they're like okay I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um so there's a combination of things but it's actually not that different than the Amazon story. Mm. Right? Amazon was $106 $103 in 2001 and you know bubble and then Enron broke and WorldCom broke and, and the market started to collapse. And you know, a bunch of the other tech companies, the bad tech companies went to zero and Amazon went down 94%, went to $6. Mm-hmm. 
and everybody gave it up as dead. And, you know, that's the one everybody famously says, well, you know, you, you should hold on to, to, the, to the winning companies. And you should. And I'm very comfortable saying that, that Coinbase is going to be here a long time and that, you know, CFI is a really important thing and that we're not all going to DeFi tomorrow. And yeah, but but here's the thing. They are an exchange and kind of like a brokerage firm model, a little bit like a bank yep. model, a little bit. And so yeah. a run is real. Like if everybody takes their coins out, that causes problems. And they're not rehypothecating and doing all this crazy lending stuff like a bank. So it's not like Knickerbocker Trust, which is going to go to zero. But but it does hurt their future revenues if if you know people don't trade and people don't deposit, um, you know, and and here's one thing and and I I have great uh, affinity for and admiration of Brian, the CEO. Me too. But I I I would say he he's not. And I'm trying to say this as positively as I can. He's he's not an an, an amazing communicator. And look, I, maybe I should just I'm the same way. I'm a great broadcast marketer. I suck at Q and A because I get emotional when someone asks me a, a hard question or criticizes me. I get emotional, and my wife says you have bad resting resting bitch face. And so, and and Sheryl Sandberg had the same problem, right? When she would do the quarterly calls for Facebook, she would read. She had no intonation. She had no personality. And she's a very nice person, has personality. But Facebook just needed a good communicator. Needed a good communicator. They? Christ and almighty. Why didn't someone say that? Like, hey, Mark and Cheryl, step no, out. No, step <laughs> out. And second. the same thing, Brian. Brian needs, and, and someone, there was this, this guy I watched at the, the Strategic Investment Conference, John Malden's thing. And uh, this guy talked about Benioff versus the CEO of IBM. So over the last nine years, you know, Salesforce up and to the right and IBM lost money. It's actually not that different. In fact, you could argue that IBM actually makes some money and, you know, Salesforce talks about adjusted EBITDA. But four times a year, Mark goes on Kramer and he showed a graph that all the returns came in the couple weeks after those television appearances and all the other times of the year, like 11 months of the year, the stock was flat because he's this amazing communicator. Even if what he's saying is kind of gobbledygook, like community adjusted EBITDA, that's just not a real thing. But but if you say it and you you, you sell the narrative, and, and I give Ben, and this was Ben from, um, uh, what's his blog? Uh, shoot. Anyway, uh, I'll remember it. But um, he, he was right. And, and the IBM woman never went on television. Not once in nine years. And so people didn't get to hear the story. And so they just sold. And so I think what... Coinbase really needs right now is they need a really effective communicator to tell the vision, to tell the story, and and not 
pick fights on Twitter with the SEC would be my advice. But he's way more – no, I, I'm not saying anything negative about Brian. He's he's done a great job and built a great business, and I'm a huge supporter. But I, I do think communication is really important. Yeah, yeah. I think, look, I, I have a tremendous amount of empathy for uh, Brian. For, he's clearly a, a great founder and, and CEO. And, you know, I was talking to Jason – the other day, I was like, obviously, it's been great. I mean, he's made a lot of money and is very successful. And but like, here's my interpretation of Brian's last two years, right? Like starting in starting in 2020. Hey, this is great. Crypto market is starting to pick back up. People understand this isn't a scam. Inflows coming in. It's all good for about six months. Then it gets crazy. Then all of these protocols start hiring. They start giving fake equity. By the way, my heart goes out to people who took like. You know, because we also competed for talent with people yeah. who were like, yeah, this protocol is giving me a $2 million equity grant. Yeah. You know, that is not a $2 million wow. equity. So he's competing with that. They can't retain talent, right? Then it's like the SEC starts calling. And then, and now it's all starting to turn over. It's like, honestly, out of the last two years, I bet that guy's had like three good months. <laughs> like, if that. And now, and now his stock's getting shellacked on the way down and it doesn't deserve it. And my my heart just goes Mike, out. I have a Mike lot of empathy Bezos. for the guy. He is a visionary. He saw the he vision is. early yeah. and he will persevere and he will get through this and the company will get through this. And it will be in the 42 bucks that it traded at for like five minutes the other day was probably the generational low. And I think, and uh, I think people who, who buy it and tuck it in a drawer will be very happy. I agree. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at it today. We're recording this obviously on Friday, but it's up like 15% pre-market. I just didn't deserve to be where it was. Um, didn't, didn't, didn't know that, us. but, uh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Probably um, all the people watching this, uh, you know, through spying on us on the internet that are buying it. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to say this not financial advice. I'm not, but I just looked at this and like, I have to say it's just, it's a great company and I don't know. I'm not financial advice, whatever. Yeah. You, you heard it from me too. I top ticked it too. Um, last last story that I wanted to get your your thoughts on here, and I know we're, we're running low on time, is uh, t- the Tesla purchase. Um, so so there's this story. Uh, you know, the headline coming out of Bloomberg is Elon Musk seeks to scrap Tesla margin loan with new Twitter funding. Right. So it's up to six billion in preferred equity for Twitter. Uh, and th- there's that margin loan originally. If, if you remember, the way that Elon came up with this was uh, there were a couple of different parts of that financing, right? And a huge part of that was this $12.5 million margin loan, which he collateralized something like $60 billion of Tesla stock against. And then, you know, last week we talked about this kind of investor list, right? They came out as like, these are actually equity commitments. And um, there's some interesting names like uh, CZ was on there for like $500 billion. Uh, Larry Ellison was good for a billion. And he raised about $7, $7 billion, I think, in, in equity commitments. Yep. Uh, I think a couple interesting things here. One, yeah, if I was, well... If I was Elon, I'd be getting a little worried about the value of my uh, about the value of Tesla, right? The yeah. whole this is not a knock on Tesla. It is it, the whole market is taking a bath, obviously, right now. Yep. Um, uh, two, I, I will say, uh, you know, people are like, "Hey, there are no big private equity investors on this loan." I will say, in this this new financing, uh, it looks like Apollo uh, and Sixth Street, you know, are potentially involved, and that, that would kind of check that box. Yep. Um, but also for Elon's, you know, funnily enough. It's like if you look at the performance of tech stocks year to date, Twitter's outperformed all of them. And the reason why is because this bid is single-handedly supporting the value of Twitter. Yes, it is. Like if you're Elon, I don't know, I don't know how this works, but 
I mean, you could make an argument that it should be worth less than he bid at, you know, like, I mean, if it wasn't for his bid, Twitter, where would Twitter be sitting today? Wouldn't be at 40 bucks. Nope. That was, that's what I'm Not telling close. you, like it'd be way lower than that. Yep. So, um, but it's, but it is interesting that he's seeking to move away from the margin loan. I, I think it's Look, smart. I mean, how, how many times has he pledged shares to secure financing for all kinds of mm. different things? And, um, you know, look, I'm, I'm, I'm not a forensic accountant, so I haven't gone through the books to see how, how cooked or uncooked they are. But um, there is a point, and I think we're rapidly approaching it, where someone's going to ask that question. Uh, shoot, Mark. I'm sorry. I just, I just saw this. So as of three hours ago, as of six o'clock this morning, uh, Elon tweeted that the bid for Twitter is on hold. The deal for Twitter is on hold. He's still committed, but he wants to know more about the amount of fake accounts. No. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Michael, you are prophetic. You are yeah. prophetic. That's pretty wild, man. I... Yeah, I mean, I'm finding this out obviously in real time, but that's... that should not be. That's pretty crazy. Here's another lesson too of the Doquan UST thing that I'll say. Uh, Doquan, there haven't been many defenders of Doquan since this since this has come out. I don't know the guy personally. Nope. I've interacted with him kind of a couple times indirectly through Blockworks. I have nothing bad to say per, on a personal level, but I mean, people are coming out with these screenshots of things that he said on Twitter. Yep. Right. And look, there's no two ways about this. He was kind of a dick to people on Twitter. And this just kind of shows you when you're on the top, you've got to remember to be graceful because if there's a time, and usually there is, no matter how high you are, you have to eat some medicine. And it's like, yeah, dude, no one's coming out to um, defend. And Karma is a bitch and it's mm -hmm. real. And just treat people with respect. And yeah. you don't, I don't understand. I mean, I've never understood the zero sum thing. Like, why do you have to make somebody feel worse so you can feel better? I've never understood that. Uh, live in a positive some world. Joe Rogan said this, I think, a little while. It's like, happy people don't sit on YouTube and type mean comments. And it's true, they don't. Like, Amen. if you're happy, you just, you just, you just don't do Amen. it. I mean, you're like, ah, whatever, brother. You know, like, you do you. Uh, it's unhappy people who are like, you said this? Yeah. You know, I, I really genuinely... I think whenever I see people reacting like that, I am like, something's going on internally with you. You know, yeah. and, and, and that is the right response, right? Jeez, how can I help? Yeah. How can I help? I mean, obviously you're hurting. How can I help? And I don't mean, and I'm not saying in a condescending way. I mean, literally, right? Something I can do because, yeah. you know, and, 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 and let's just finish on that point that look, there are a lot of people who are hurting right now. A lot. Yeah. And we need to recognize that. And it means mean stuff's going to come out. It means the the people are going to fight. Um, but we're all, we, I hate to say, we are all in this together. Right? All that other, we're in this together, mm. I don't I don't believe in. But we are in this together. And uh, as a community, we'll, we'll come out stronger. And, you know, I I appreciate your insight to to put this together on a weekly basis so we could, you know, try to help build the community and strengthen the community. And I am grateful to be a part of it with you. I am too. And I got to give a shout out to our producer, Will Beaumont, who gives me a lot of great ideas for this roundup every, every week. So Will, Thank you, you're Will. the real one, my man. 
appreciate you. You <laughs> do. Uh, do. Mark, this, this has been a ton of fun uh, as always. I will see you here uh, same time next week, Sounds my friend. Sounds good. Have a good weekend. Cheers.